0: Good morning. It's so good to be back here in the East uh, with you folks. I think the last time I was here was about a year or so ago. I bring greetings from the Woodlands Centre. Next Sunday, we hope to see uh, many of you there, and I hope to greet many of you there as well. As a matter of fact, uh, last night at 11pm, I received a text from a CG in Woodlands. And the reason why they texted me was because uh, they had been prayer-walking the land in Singkang, that land in Singkang, just yesterday on Saturday. And they just text me without knowing I'm going to be here this morning. And they said, you "No, know, Pastor, we are so glad we prayer walked that land. We felt this is such a beautiful land and we are so happy that we have the opportunity to be there. And when I told them, hey, I'm, I'm preaching here this tomorrow, they said, please send the, the Easties, which is all of you here, our greetings, to let them know one thing. You are not alone. We are praying Along with you. So friends, I just want to let you know that we are one church in three centres. And you're not alone in whatever journey the Lord is bringing you through. This morning as we begin this message, I'd like to ask you a simple question. What words come to mind when you think about worship? So this morning you entered here for worship, right? So what words come to mind uh, when someone says, what does worship mean to you? So what words come to mind? So everyone think, because you're going to do something with this thinking. So everyone think. At least one. Maximum two words. No PhD thesis here, okay? Maximum two words. Now, turn to the person beside you and say, oh, these words come to mind. Just just talk. Just talk. Right? Just share. These words come to mind when I think about worship. Okay, so talk, talk. Carry on, carry on, talk. Okay? Wow, well, is this so shy one? <laughs> okay, so what I'm going to do is very simple. On the count of three, what I like to do is very simple. You've got a word already, right? It could be praise, whatever it is, doesn't matter whatever word it is. On the count of three, could you just shout it out from where you are, that's all. Okay, it doesn't matter, it's going to be a cacophony of sounds, it's okay. I just want to get a sense of where it's going. So ready, just shout out the word on the count of one, two, three. Oh, wow, wonderful, heart worship, I heard some of this. Okay, so I agree with you, things like songs, maybe singing, praise, prayer, music, Thanksgiving. These are the words that I think I won't be far wrong from what I could gather from all of you shouting out down there. What about God? When God, as master communicator, wanted to communicate to his people, what does it mean to approach him, to come in worship of him? What word do you think God would share with his people? Any of the words we, we just shouted out just now? Let me share with you what is the word that we're going to encounter in the book of Leviticus, the very first thing that the people hit when they approach God. And this is the word. Sacrifice. Anyone shouted sacrifice? I don't think so. I don't think so. I didn't. But this is the very first word that the people encounter when they approach God. And this morning, that's exactly what we're going to do to look at the whole idea of approaching God. So before we carry on, I you close your eyes, bow your heads. God is here. We acknowledge His presence right now. Let's take a moment. Pause. Father, we thank You so much. You're God who invites us to draw near. This morning, Lord, we draw near in full confidence of Your acceptance of us. Not because of what we have done, because of what You, what You have done for us. The cross of Your Son, Jesus. We ask for forgiveness, Lord, because I and I think many of us, we so often take this for granted. We forget the terror of what it is to stand before a holy God. So Father, would you remind us this day through your holy word, who you are, that we may gain a heart of reverence and awe. For we ask and pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Good morning welcome to Covenant's uh, Pulpit. This morning, I bring you a message from Leviticus 1 to 3 entitled, Holy Worship Approaching God. You now, many of us, when we look at the book of Leviticus, we are absolutely intimidated. As a matter of fact, we already shared when it's announced this year, we're going to preach a book of Leviticus, all the preachers and pastors, we were in fear and trembling because it's, it's really hard to understand. It is so far removed from us, the culture, the customs and everything it does, it, it, it's, it's just, can I say the word here? So boring. You know, we joke about it and say it's a Christian's cure for insomnia, isn't it? And I honestly have to tell you as a pastor, I repent. I repent because as the more I look into this book, the more I realize, my gosh, it is so rich when we understand that God is master communicator and He's demonstrating to His people who He is when they approach Him in worship. And this whole year, we have the privilege of doing exactly that, knowing who our God is and who He wants us to be as we approach Him in worship. So the question many of you will ask, you know, Pastor, is there a map uh, to Leviticus. In other words, how are we going to unpack it? So let me share with you in, in, in a view in a grand scale so this will form for us a frame. Leviticus can broadly be divided into two big streams. Uh. The first is chapters 1 to 6. Uh, it's the ritual or ceremonial code. A lot of it will be in that direction. And then from 17 to 27, some people call it the holiness or ethical code. So this is the broad frame to it. It leads to something in the center and then it moves out to something larger again. Or we can see it in this way. It moves in and it moves out. It begins with worship, holy worship one and holy worship two. And later you understand why we've divided it as such. Then it talks about the ordination of the holy priest and our identity. And then it moves on to holy living. Of course, it's the holiness code now holy stewardship, holy seasons in all the festivals and finally leading to the Holy Covenant. Now if you look at it, for those of you who can see it, there's something missing. What is missing? Something missing here. Can anyone guess? So you here have 11 to 15. Here is what? 17 to 20. So what is missing? 16. We can all count. Praise Jesus. (laughs) 16 is the Day of Atonement. It seems like everything moves towards the Day of Atonement, and from there it moves outward again. So this forms for us a frame for us as we preach through the book this year. Okay? Now, this is not easy to see, so I'm going to simplify it again to you. The Day of Atonement is the pivot point. Everything moves towards it. It's in holy worship, a holy priest, holy identity, and then we move out again. Holy uh, living, holy stewards, holy rhythms, and holy covenant. So this is the frame by which we'll bring to you and open up Leviticus for the rest of the year. Those of you who've attended Leviticus Bible study, you'll recognize we've condensed this and we've also condensed 21 to 25 simply because we just didn't have time in our Bible study training uh, to bring that to you. But in the preaching, we expand it to you. And this morning, we're looking at chapters 1 to 3. Now, this is a rather lengthy introduction because the pattern by which we open the text to you will be similar for subsequent messages. So, for example, 1 to 3 this morning, uh, we're going to open up in terms of having an overview, then followed by two or three thematic sermons uh, like what we did in the book of Daniel last year. So, if you went through with us the book of Daniel, that's basically what we did to open up the book. So, to concretize it for us this morning, for example, in Leviticus 1 to 3, this morning I'm doing Sermon 1, which is the overview. And then the subsequent weeks, uh, Sundays that you come, it will be on sermon two, why sacrifice? Sermon three, uh, the community in sacrifice on the first segment. Okay, so if you are ready, you strap in your seat belts. We are going to go. This morning I bring you holy worship approaching God, Leviticus one to three. And the whole idea, the first thing that hits the people as they approach God, God brings to them this whole idea of sacrifice, sacrifice. So many of you ask, well, Pastor, how do we see sacrifice here? So Leviticus 1, 2, chapter 1, verse 2 rather, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. The first thing that hits them is this idea when you come before God, you can't come empty handed You've got to bring something. Now it's important for us to know that this is not a new idea. It didn't begin in Leviticus. As a matter of fact, right in the front of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when two brothers approach God, something happened like this. In Genesis 4, verse 3 to 4, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. I emphasize this because later we'll look at fat again. And the Lord has regard for Abel and his offering. So right at the beginning, it seems intuitive, right in the front. When you approach God, you, you just can't come in before Him, you know. You've got to bring something, an offering. So the idea of offering doesn't begin in Leviticus, but in the book of Leviticus, God regularizes it and institutionalizes it for His people as the way to approach Him. So how are we going to look at this? In Leviticus 1 to 3, this morning there are three offerings there, burnt offering, grain offering, and fellowship offering. These are voluntary but expected And in segment two, in holy worship two, we'll look at sin offering and guilt offering, and these are mandatory. That's why we've separated them uh, in this way. So this morning, we're going to look at this. The question before us is simply this. God is revealing himself to his people through the offering. What is he showing of himself? How do we know God? Who is this God that you and I are worshipping through the offering that he calls us to bring to him? So I present to you this simple framework. The burnt offering represents the God who's totally deserving. The grain offering represents the God who's totally providing. And finally, the fellowship offering represents the God who's absolutely, totally welcoming. And we'll use this frame for this morning's message. So let's begin with the first, the burnt offering, the God who is totally deserving. So right now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something is to read to you eight verses from chapter 1, from 2 to 9, and you listen to it to get a flavour of what it means for the people that time to approach God then. Leviticus 1, verse 2, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a meal without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meetings that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and Aaron's son and the priest shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the side of the authors that is at the entrance of the tent of meetings. Then he shall flay, which is basically skin, the burnt offering, and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron and the priest shall put fire on the altar and range wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head, and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its licks he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. <sighs> Reading it is, it's quite a bit, isn't it? Uh, And truth be told, that's a very different experience from what any one of you experienced this morning. What happened this morning when you came to approach God in worship? You woke up, you brushed your teeth, you changed up, you had your coffee, your breakfast at Yakun or McDonald's, I don't know where, and you took an MRT, you took a bus, and you came in here, you took a lift up to level three or maybe an escalator up to level three, you entered this auditorium and praise be to God, the seat that you always sit in is empty and you made your way to your favourite seat, and you sat down. And the worship leader say, let's stand, and you stood, and you raised your hands, and you praised God, and you worship. That's by and large your experience this morning, isn't it? Right? Very different, very different from what happened there. So let me try to bring us back to that experience and, and see what it, what it feels like. How many of you have walked beside an animal, a big animal, a cow, some of you have been to New Zealand, you've been to Australia, you've, you've walked beside animals, and you know. So many of us don't understand what it is as city dwellers uh, to walk beside animals. So for example, this is taken off the internet, it, it shows the relative size of a cow to a human being. It's massive, you know. I'm about 70 kg, this, this thing is many times <laughs> my weight. What's the first thing that hits you when you go to the zoo? What hits you when you see the animals in the zoo, what hits you? The smell, the smell, the dung, the, it's just different, isn't it? I mean, here in this auditorium, it's sanitized. It's, it's so different. There's no such animal smell. There's no animal smell. So what I like to do is I like to bring you an experience now uh, to what might be for the Israelites then. Okay? So I'm going to ask you to do something very dangerous on a Sunday morning in the auditorium. I'm going to ask you to trust me. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. It's very dangerous because some of you may fall asleep. Huh? But I'm just going to ask you to imagine with me now. So close your eyes. So I've shown you an image of a bull. You imagine now you're thinking this bull, okay, in your, in your mind's eye. You're walking with this animal. You're smelling it. And along the way, as you're walking, you're avoiding its dung, its cow dung. It passes along the way. Your family's probably with you. And you're moving ahead and in front of you on the sand and it's not air corn. It's hot. It's not humid hot as in Singapore. It's a dry heat. As you walk towards the tabernacle, you see a pillar of cloud there and you can't just enter in. You you meet with this big high curtain and and there the priest meets you. You enter into a conversation with the priest. You explain you're here to bring a burnt offering. The priest leads you in front of the tent of meetings. And there you do something very interesting. You put your hands on the head of the bull. Now imagine with me how the skin feels. The roughness of the head. It's shaking his head, it's mooing, and just trying to keep still. And then after that, your friends come, and then you tie its legs together, and on the ground, a knife is handed to you, and you slit its throat. And the blood gushes out, and the priest collects that. You smell that. You smell the the blood that's coming up, the warmth, and it spills into you, your, some of your hands and clothes, you're, you're caught in the blood. But the priests collect it and they bring the blood that's still warm, not congealed. They take it and they sprinkle it at the altar. And then you begin to look at the altar and you begin to feel the heat coming from the coal and the, and the wood that's burning there. And you continue now to skin the animal that's dead It's not going to take a few minutes, you know. It's going to probably take an hour or so. Skin that animal. And you're sweating away and you feel that perspiration on you. And then you are now butchering up the different parts. It's a big, oh, you're not going to do it in 15 minutes. It's going to take you some time. And then the priest comes and arranges the pieces on the altar. And you begin to smell the barbecued beef goes up and all of it all of it is burnt up now open your eyes very different experience from what we experienced this morning isn't it what was god trying to communicate in all of that in all this messiness of this what was god trying to communicate to his people and so we're going to look at that this morning now the three offerings i want to share with you we can spend hours on them alone but we don't have that luxury. But I'm going to focus in each of these offerings two key points, two key points in each of these offerings. So for the burnt offering, I want to share with you the whole idea of atonement. The burnt offering has to do with this whole idea of atonement. So where do we see that? In Leviticus 1-4, to 4, this is what it says. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make whatever this Hebrew word is for him. I put it out there because this Hebrew word uh, in its alphabet is K-P-A-R-A. Uh, Pronounced Kippah. It's not KPI, uh, it's KPR. KPR. And uh, it's called Kippah. When the first Bible translators, when they hit this word in the Hebrew, they didn't know what English word to translate it into. They were, they were caught because they knew it represented something. They knew what it is, but there was no English word at that time to translate this. So they did something interesting. They invented an English word. They invented this word, and the word is atonement. This word we throw around as Christians often, but it was an invented word by the Bible translators. What's the meaning of this word? It basically means this at one man. At one. They understand that Keeper does something. Keeper brings two parties and they make them one. That's why in the English they translated it at one man. So what does it represent? So they recognize that as sinful human beings, we are caught in sin and impurity, and God is a holy God represented here by the fire. And we cannot approach him. But somehow, through the keeper, through this sacrifice of this animal, because our payment of sin is done, and the purification of our impurities are done, we are able, therefore, to enter into the presence of God, to approach God. To approach God. Now, how this happens, it happens in a few ways. Firstly, you remember this, this hand-putting ceremony. It is basically to say, huh, this animal not just belongs to me, but I identify with this animal. This animal is supposed to be me. When this animal dies in my place. This is my animal, I own it, but now I recognize this animal, I identify with this animal, this animal, whatever's gonna to happen to it, is gonna to supposed to happen to me. That's the first thing. It is very costly because it costs a life to appear before God. That's what it means. Then the blood is sprinkled and here we are scratching our head and saying, what on earth does this mean? You know? But in Leviticus 17.11, it goes on to tell us, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, I've given it to you, uh, on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So we see the association first between life and blood. Life and blood are equated and then blood representing life is that which makes atonement. The first thing we need to know is that for the Hebrews, for the Israelites, when they approach God, they recognize it is absolutely costly because a life is taken so that I can approach God. Something dies in my place. That's the first thing we need to understand. Secondly, it's not just the, this idea of atonement. It's this idea of sacrificial cause. Okay. I don't think... Okay, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. Okay, I don't think... Most of us here own a bull. Anyone? I don't think so, unless you have a Lamborghini. Okay, which has a bull as a signal. I, I don't think you 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 own this, right? So for most of us when we read this, we, we don't understand what this is. We don't we don't appreciate a bull A bull, a bull is uh, bull you go to NTUC, you buy beef out. You know, that's kind of tough. We, we we don't get it. What does a bull represent? If you are a cattle herder and or you have you have animals. Do you think you have more cows or more bulls? If you, or, so raise your hands. Those of you who think you have more males, raise your hands. Do you think you have more females, raise your hands. Okay, the rest, like most of us, we don't know. But you're right. You have more cows. Why? Why? Because you want to keep your number of males uh, to the super males, you know. They are your breeders. These guys will breed the rest of the, 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 your herd. You understand what I mean? You keep the best of the best bulls because these are the ones that produce the strongest and biggest cows and whatever it is. You can sell or make money, whatever it is. Does that make sense? So your bulls are actually very few, you know. So when it says you bring your bull, what is the bull representing? It's your money-making machine, you know. It's your money-making machine. It's not just your money-making machine. In this sacrifice, when you give it to God, how much of this burnt offering for the rest of the people to eat Anyone knows? Zero. All of it. All of it. All of it goes to God, burnt up. For us, you say, oh, we don't understand what that means. Let me share with you. If you were to go to third world countries, outskirts of Cambodia, East Timor, and you visit them on your mission trip, and you notice what the people eat on a regular basis, what do most people eat in these countries? Rice and vegetable. Rice and vegetable. How often do they take meat? Almost zero, you know. When a guest comes, when you as guests come, maybe they kill the chicken for you. In in a wedding, if there's a wedding in the village, maybe they, they slaughter the pig or the goat. More often than not, nobody eats meat. Meat is a luxury. This thing. Your prize bull is a luxury. None of it. None of it. None of it is eaten. Oh, all, all burned to God. You know what many of us say? What a waste. What a waste. This could feed so many mouths. What a waste. Let me share with you the story Pastor Jerry Shepard shares in his commentary. He he tells the story that's told by another pastor. It's worth listening to. So let me just read it to you as it. He says an elder walks into the pastor's study and announces, Pastor, I want you to come out to the church parking lot with me. This morning, I'm overwhelmed by God's goodness. I'm under compulsion to do something extravagant for God. You see this whole pile of $100 bill? I'm going to take it to the car park and together with you as witness, I'm going to burn it to God many of your eyes are just, (gasps) he goes on to say, if you simply say, if you simply say, no, 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 take the money, give it to the church, you may unintentionally demonstrate that you're more enamoured by the power of money than the greatness of God. A prize cow was as close to a whole bunch of bills as the Israelites got. It could fill stomachs, provide security for many people, but if this cow was selected by its owner as a burnt offering, all of its life-giving potential literally went up in smoke. Pause. Burnt offering. Costs a life, all of it, wasted. Many of us we think that way. I, you know, I feel, wow, this is what a waste. And I share with you, we are not alone. You and I are not alone in thinking that way. You know, on the night close to in Bethany before Jesus, the, the week before Jesus went to the cross, he was at Simon the leper's house and a woman came and with an alabaster jar broke it and poured it on Jesus. And you know what? All the disciples look at it and say, what a waste! What a waste. See friends, when we say that, We don't understand how great our God is. And for many of us, this is it. Do you know what God is saying to us? Worship, approaching Him, is absolutely costly. It will cost us. It must cost us. It costs us because He's a holy God. And we are unholy people. The only way is a life must be taken. The life of our best, unblemished bull, our money-making machine given. Given completely to God. That's what it means to enter to approach God. For many of us, it's very different, as I said, not so much in the visceral experience, but what it costs us to approach. And truth be told, for many Singaporeans, worship is more convenient than costly. It's more convenient. Oh, this convenient place to go as I come here. I I do not mean to make like of this, but this is what it means to follow Jesus. I know many parents here, it costs you to bring your children to church because in the morning, it is a struggle to bring them. And I want, to, I want to affirm that you, you are paying a price to, to do this. And it's not easy, we understand. So you are paying a price. This morning, God approaches us and asks, what, 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 what do we bring? What do we bring before the Lord? You know, Chinese New Year just passed, isn't it? And um, most of us here, we, uh, I look at the auditorium here, I think most of us are the ones who give ang paos, bread uh, packets. Some of you younger ones maybe want to receive. La. And do you realize, I, many of us know this, huh? it's an open secret, how huh? we differentiate our Ang Pao's, isn't it? We've got the more expensive ones, and then we make sure they're all put inside different stacks, isn't it? So that different ones we give appropriately. And you give your best, your heaviest Ang Pao to who? Your enemies? You give to your parents. You give to your children. You give to your grandchildren. You give to your, your best to those that mean the most to you. My friends, this is what God is saying to us. Approaching God is absolutely costly. costly. Why? Because He is a holy God and He is a great God. We give to the degree we understand who our God is. In giving our best, God draws us to this understanding of who He is. From the burnt offering, we move on to the green offering, the God who is absolutely or totally providing. So we read this here in the text in chapters 2, verse 1, when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. So what's the recipe for this uh, grain offering? For this one that is unbaked, you have fine flour and most probably olive oil, and you add also frankincense. Now, we don't know why frankincense is added. It's most probably because it's an expensive raisin and it adds to the cost of the sacrifice, but also because when the frankincense is burnt up, it's a nice smelling uh, to to God, uh, to the people around it. It perfumes the place. Uh, Frankincense cannot be eaten. Okay, It is not edible. So when you mix this uh, flour, this recipe, you probably put it on top and later you'll know why. But there's another way, there's another way. The other way is to, to, to cook it, okay? So when you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And there are various ways. You can use an oven, you can use a griddle, or you can use a pan. All these are mentioned in the text. But this is very interesting. So the big categories when you bring a grain offering, two ways. One is uncooked. It's flour and mixed with oil. The other one is cooked. Huh? It's cooked, it's baked this way. Let me ask you a question. If you want to bring the baked kind as a grain offering, where do you get this? This baked kind. They don't have bread talk then. Eh? Where do you get this? You, you get this where? If you want to bake your food, where, where do you bake it? At home, in front of your tent for them. Eh? You bake it. or For us, equivalent kitchen. Lah. Eh? That's where you, where, where you put the, bake the food. is So unbaked, or you can bake it. Okay, You can bake it. What do you think God is trying to communicate? to us as worshippers. You see, we often think that, ah, worship begins where? Here. When you enter the sanctuary, the auditorium, God in some sense is reminding you, hey guys, no, worship can begin all the way back in the humble kitchen where you begin to present that before the Lord. So for the green offering now, we look at the two outstanding things, what I call significant. So the first is, we talk about prohibitions and requirements. So what are the prohibitions? It says down here, uh, no grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. Now leaven, in the, by the time we come to the New Testament, we kind of know, yeah, leaven is associated, yeast, uh, associated with corruption. So it uh, makes sense. But why punish honey? Le? I like honey. You eh. <laughs> like honey, isn't it? So why? And the reality is we don't know. The text doesn't tell us but we seem to understand that honey and leaven are associated. So some form of corruption. By the way, the honey is not the yellow liquid, the bees make kind of thing. eh? In this context, uh, the honey is probably from the pulp of fruits, most likely dates. Okay, So just for uh, information for that. But the requirements are very interesting. What's the requirements? In chapter 2, verse 13, it says, you shall season all your grain offering with salt, and you shall not let the salt of the covenant uh, with your God, be missing from your grain offering. With all your offering, you shall offer salt. So not just a grain offering, but all your offering, your burnt offering, you must put salt. So what's the purpose of this? God wants His people to get hypertension? Why salt, you know? We so again, we don't really understand, but salt seems to symbolise the covenant. Okay. So you notice that it's not just salt, it's salt of the covenant. So whenever, in all the offerings, when you add salt... It's to remind the people you have a relationship. When you're offering this, you actually have a living relationship with this God by which you're offering. So this is a very, uh, small point, but it's important. Now, it's not just that, but it's the provision for the priest. So this is a special thing in the grain offering. In Leviticus 2, verse 2, And bring it to Aaron's son, the priest, and he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all its frankincense. Huh? So, all the frankincense but a handful is taken, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar. So this small portion is taken away and burnt. And then it goes on to say, but the rest, the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's food offering. The grain offering is special in the sense that most of the grain offering goes to who? Goes to... The full-time workers. <laughs> Goes to the priest. The, the priest and the Levites, they represent the full-time workers. So I pause a moment to say that this is interesting. This God who requires sacrifice to approach him, in the midst of his sacrifice, what is he thinking of? He's not just thinking of himself, you know. He is a God who thinks about the people who are serving him as well, who provides for those. You think about your bosses, those who are really good bosses, for those of us who work, which are the really good bosses for you? The really good bosses are not just those who give you a lot of money, you know. The really good bosses are those who pay an interest in your life. They help develop you to be the best you can be, isn't it? That's the great kind of bosses we, we want, we have. This is God. He looks after those who look after him. You see that? Uh, this, this, Okay, so it's a bit of vested interest for me here, but I have to say it. I'm a full-time worker. <laughs> okay. So the text basically says, Please bring your tithes and offering. Uh, so that you know the full-time workers can be looked after. Now, I, I need to pause here, and this is not a joke, huh? Covenant is incredible. It's an incredible church. I'm so glad God called me to serve here. Because we have an incredibly loving, supportive board. They form a HR committee that every year reviews, every couple of years, not every year, every couple of years reviews the salary of full-time workers to adjust for inflation. I, I tell you, it's incredible. We are grateful. We are grateful. So on behalf of the full-time staff, we are grateful. We want to thank you for faithfully tithing so that we can continue the ministry that God has called us to. But some of you listening here, not here in this auditorium now, but you may be listening to the podcast, listening to uh, the telecast of this, and you're not from Covenant, I want to encourage you, would you give? Would you give regularly, faithfully to God's people, to your church that you are coming from, so that your pastors, your ministry staff can continue that work without having to worry about how to make ends meet. This is the special thing about the grain offering. So in the grain offering, God remembers and provides for his servants. I want to quickly apply this to uh, two groups of people here. Some of you in this sanctuary here, God has called you to go full time and you are concerned. You are concerned because you're not sure whether, you you know, ends are going to meet. And I want to share with you, if God has called you to move in that direction, come and speak to us. Because God God will will never call you to a place that will leave you in a lurch. It may not be the luxury you are thinking of, but God will fulfill all your daily needs. You know, this grain offering represents our daily need. Give us this day our daily bread. This is literally that God will fulfill that. Answer God's call for your life because He will supply and He will supply abundantly. The second group are not full-timers, but you know God has called you to a certain mission, to do certain things, uh, whether it's, it's, it's with your company or with uh, an NGO, whatever, God has called you there. Go and believe. Wherever God has called you, He will supply that need for you as well because God remembers and provides for His servants. That's what the green offering reminds us of who our God is. And finally, we come to my favourite, the fellowship offering, the God who's totally welcoming. So how do we see that? So we see that here, Leviticus 3.1, and in, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, uh, now notice it could be male or female, okay? Uh, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. So the same thing, the whole rigmarole, put your hands, everything, but there's something unique about this. Now, some of you will notice and say, hey, pastor, it says peace offering, you know. How come you say fellowship offering? The Hebrew word is ambivalent. You can translate it as either peace or fellowship offering And later, I explain to you why I prefer fellowship offering. Okay, it's not a sin; it's just differences. Okay, so notice that. So what's what's the difference? Everyone's getting excited now. Not just hypertension, but cholesterol, fat. So what's unique about this offering is fat. Special mention of fat. And from the sacrifice of peace offering or fellowship offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails, and all the fat is on the entrails. Uh, That is the what we call the omental or periomental fat. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins. Uh, so this is a perirenal fat. Okay? And the long lobe of the liver he shall remove from the kidneys. And then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood of the fire. It is a food offering which is pleasing to the Lord. And this is our famous verse in Leviticus 3. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing all the fat is the Lord's. So we jokingly say for some of us as Christians, God has more of us because of body composition. Okay. So, so special mention of the fat. So we scratch our head and say, what's this about fat, you know? So as far as we know, uh, fat represents the best part of the animal. So when you give the fat, you're saying the best part belongs to God. So remember in Genesis 4, just now we read about Abel giving his offering. It's specifically mentioned and the fat. So Abel was giving his best to God. Okay, So this is for us to understanding the fat. But not just the fat, This offering has something very special, unique about this. And it is food for fellowship. So where do we see that? Leviticus 7.15 says, And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for Thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until morning. So let me ask you a question. Who is this he referring to? Who is this he? This is the person who brings the sacrifice. Exactly. This is the only sacrifice, the only sacrifice that the lay Israelite can eat. This is the only one that the lay Israelite, any one of us, can eat. But wait, there's more. Not just he can eat. Look at what it says in uh, verse 31 and 33. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his son. In the right time, you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offering. So who else can eat? The full-time workers. <laughs> the priest can eat. The priest can eat. So you imagine this. You know, this sacrifice comes. It's a fellowship offering, peace offering. The fat is removed, given to the Lord, burned, And then the animal is divided. The, you know, different parts go to different people. And so actually for me, it's a picture of food provided for the priest as well as for the the person that offers the worshipper so that they can do what? Have a meal together, have a feast together, eat together. It's a very beautiful picture. This is what I I think and I see the fellowship offering to be. So what is the function? What is the function of the fellowship offering? So we, we run through again. Let me try to tie all this together this morning. So we have the burnt offering. So who does the bull belong to? Burnt offering belongs to? God, everything, everything is burned up to God. So it all belongs to God. So let me ask you a question. Then the grain offering, okay, it belongs to who? Handful belongs to God and then the other half belongs to who? The priest. Ah, now we come to the fellowship offering. Fellowship offering belongs to who? It's split between the priest and the worshipper. Ah, and also the fat. Many of you are interested. The fat. Okay, so the fat belongs to God also. Okay, so like that. Okay, is this correct? Ah, so this is correct. I want you to look at the picture for a while. Do you notice some sequencing? They're all offered together, you know? Why I say that? Notice what it says. It says, then Aaron's son shall burn it. The it referring to the fat on the altar, on top of the burnt offering. The fellowship offering fat goes to the, you know? So it's all together. Burnt offering, green offering, and then there's the fat of the fellowship offering down there. And then part of the grain offering goes to the priest and then the remains split between the, the two people, right? So, do you notice something down there? I present to you there is a progression and it leads to something. So let me try my best, huh? This part is for atonement. This part is primarily for provision. And this part is for celebration. That's what I think, that's why I see the movement. That's why I see the movement. Atonement, because when we are right before God, everything is peace on earth, isn't it? We are right before God. And there's provision. people are answering God's call to provide for the, for the full-time workers, for the priests. And now in the fellowship offering, everyone, everyone gets to participate. You know what? this, this whole thing that we have before us? I have this picture. It's a meal. It's a meal for God. Sacrifice, the best given to God. The rest is shared. We all come before God in celebration. That's for me the picture of what it is for these sacrifices. This is how great, how wonderful our God is. We've just been through this period, you know. Chinese New Year. It's incredible. I've never eaten so much in the last two weeks. (laughs) Post-COVID. This... Yeah, it's it's just wonderful. Who do you eat with, huh? Who do you eat with? You eat with those you love. You eat with those you love. Very few of us eat with our enemies. I don't like this person. I make an appointment. We are going to eat with you. <laughs> Nobody does that. We eat with people we enjoy being around with. The fellowship of it's a picture of God. Whoa, he's offered. He's offered the best, the bowl, everything. He is pleased, there is atonement. He, he invites the priest, he invites the... Whatever you come, we sacrifice, we eat together. This is an incredibly beautiful picture here, my friends, of the sacrifices, of who our God is, of who our God is. You know, the Israelites, they didn't believe this. They didn't believe that God is like that. This is not the kind of God we have. In Psalm 78, it says this. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Then God struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he give bread or provide meat for his people? The people don't believe, you know. We don't believe we have a good God. We don't believe we have a God who will give, who will bless his people. That's exactly what the Israelites said. They don't believe. How can God like that one? They don't believe that. And God did exactly this. He says, come, this is who your God is. In the tabernacle, feast, come before me. Be at one with me. Celebrate with me. This is our God, my friends. This is the God you and I are called to worship. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks about a man who holds a great banquet. He sends the servants out. Invite. Invite people to come experience free food, blessing the best of the best. Come. Again, you have people who say, I make excuses. Cannot come. Cannot come. Cannot come. You know, at the end, one day, as we come before God, You know what? It will be a celebration. It's the marriage feast of the lamb. This is our God. You know, do you know the five love languages? Uh, Time, touch, words of affirmation, gifts, etc., etc. Five. I I don't think it's accurate. I don't think it's accurate. Or I think they, they are true, but I don't think it's adequate. Because there's a sixth universal love language, and that is food. I don't care whether you're from the west or from the east, food binds us together. That's what the fellowship offering is. It's a God who welcomes. This is a God who enjoys celebrating with His children. Men and women, this is our God. This is the God we come to this morning. This is the God we enter this place. And we say we want to know this God. And inside our mind, you'll be poisoned by Satan now. Ah, where God? No good one now. Ah. He like that. He make you do all the sacrifices, etc., etc. But God, through this, is telling us this is who He is. This morning... This morning, as we begin the book of Leviticus, I present to you, in the first three sacrifices, it is a God who is totally deserving, a God who is totally providing, and a God who is totally welcoming. Father God, we are deeply, deeply grateful that this is who our God is. Not just a God who demands sacrifice for us, but a God who first sacrificed. You are our holy God who has chosen to dwell among us. Unholy people. Thank you, Lord, for sacrificing for us first. What kind of God is this? We put our hands over our mouth. We repent and bow in humble worship. Could you help us, dear Father, to live our lives in such a way that it demonstrates to a watching world a God who is totally deserving, a God who is totally providing, and a God who is totally welcoming. We declare this day, you are a good God. You are a great God. You are our holy God. And we worship you. May our lives reflect that. And may people be drawn to worship Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Shall we all stand? Shall we all stand? Fathers, to close with this song. It's a beautiful song about offering. Let's sing this. Let's sing this. As a sacrifice, as an offering to Jesus. The sun cannot compare to the glory of your love.
1: There is no shadow in your
0: presence. No mortal no man would dare to stand before your throne. Before the Holy One. Only by your blood, and it's only through your mercy.